Amen. Good morning, Carbondale. So proud of these girls and the leaders and all the children's ministries and youth ministries going on in this church. It's awesome, isn't it? Raising up another generation to be strong in the Lord. And our men's conference, Friday and Saturday, I had to come in a day early so I could be a part of the Beast Feast. I'm not sure what all that meat was, but it was good. So... So uh, it was fun. If you missed it, guys, you got to wait another year, right? But it'll happen again next year. But don't miss these exciting opportunities. Wow, God's doing great things in his church right right here. Hallelujah. Uh, we're in a series I'm calling A Season of Miracles because I really believe God dropped that in my heart that he wants to do miracles in this place for you and for your family. Anybody need a miracle today? Did you come expecting? Is, is your faith rising a little bit uh, to trust the Lord? And I love hearing people's testimonies. After first service, I, I had two or three sharing a testimony with me. Boy, when God does something wonderful in your life, that's your story. You need to tell it over and over again. That's the way you give glory uh, to the Lord. And so today we're looking at steps, steps to your miracle. And it's a famous, one of the most famous uh, miracles in the Bible that Jesus did. Uh, We call it the feeding of the 5,000. We know that from reading the scriptures, that was 5,000 men. So there was actually 15,000, maybe more like like 20,000. That's a crowd, isn't it? This is an incredible miracle. And there's some real lessons here for us to learn. And it's the only miracle that's Besides the resurrection, it's the only miracle Jesus did that's in all four Gospels. So there's something important here. We need to dig a little deeper and let the Holy Spirit reveal to us uh, what the truth is, what the steps are, how we can get ready for our miracle. Amen? Okay, you've been sitting a while, and I'd love to, for you to stand and, and help me read the Scripture out loud. So if, if you can stand okay, if, if you need to stay seated, that's fine. But they're going to put the Scripture on the on the big screen and use your use your loud voice are you ready loud voice here we go when jesus landed and saw a large crowd he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd so he began teaching them many things by this time it was late in the day so his disciples came to him this is a remote place they said And it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all, They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish 
The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Come on, let's thank God for his word today, amen? Holy Spirit, be the teacher today to open up our hearts, give us revelation knowledge. Lord, let faith arise in this place, and we believe you're still the God of miracles, and you'll do miracles today in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. 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 You can be seated. Now, if you're taking notes, they'll put the outline on the scripture. And the first step that we need to think about and look at in getting ready for a miracle, first step on, on getting and receiving your miracle is, number one, is to ask God. We need to ask God. He is our source. Amen. How quick and how often we can get busy, and when we have needs, we don't turn to God first. Sometimes we, we turn to the doctor or to a man or to a program or to the government or, or to ourselves or, or to something else, even sometimes to the church and other good people, and all those things can be okay in time, but what do we do first? Don't you think we ought to seek God first? Stop and ask God because God is ready to do a miracle, and we need to be ready uh, to ask Him for a miracle. A couple of great scriptures, uh, one in Philippians 4 and, and verse, verse 6 and 7. Uh, Philippians 4, verse 6, Paul says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Now, Paul, that's easier said than done, right? Easier to preach that than to live it because all of us have a tendency to stress, to worry, uh, when things come along. But here Paul says, here's the key to overcoming that worry. Tell God what you need. Other versions say, present your requests to God. Tell God, ask God, and thank Him for all He's done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and mind as you live in Christ Jesus. You know, our miracle doesn't always happen immediately, but as soon as we ask God for a miracle, He knows how to take away the fear and the worry and to fill our hearts with peace. How many know about that peace? Amen. Don't you thank God for the peace He gives so that you know everything's going to be okay then? You don't have to worry about that because God's given you the assurance everything is going to be okay. We have to, we have to realize what the problem is. If we're going to ask God for a miracle, we've got to identify the problem, right? We've got to look at the problem, and there's lots of problems. We all have problems. Life is full of problems, physical, spiritual, material, financial, health-wise. But, but it's easy for us sometimes to, to pretend that the problems aren't there, you know, to have a difficult time in admitting that we need help from the Lord. We like to hide our problems or cover them or blame other people or or pretend other people, but there's a time when we need to humble ourselves with other believers and we need to acknowledge this is the need, this is the problem. Can you can you agree with me? Can we ask together? Can we seek the Lord? You know, that's that's what's so valuable about being in in a home group, in these small groups, where you can where you can let down the walls and the veneer, you can be real with people and you can say, Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm hurting, I've got a need, I've got a situation and together, together, you seek the Lord and you ask together. So it's important to ask. It's important to ask. James has another great scripture in James chapter 4, verse, verse 2 and 3. James 4, verse 2. You know, James was the half-brother of Jesus, grew up in the same home 
with Jesus and is the pastor of the Jerusalem church, which by the end of the book of Acts, this church was huge. This church, they say, numbered as many as 100,000 people, which is about half of the population of Jerusalem at that time. So this is a large church. There's been great revival all through the book of Acts. And so James is the pastor, and he's encouraging his people, and he's doing it this way. He's saying, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. In other words, James says you're doing all these other things. You need to ask God. You need to ask God. In verse 3, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So we've got to purify our motives, don't we? And then we've got to ask God. And I just hear the Spirit of the Lord saying to many of us today that we need to ask big. Have you been asking too small? You know, God is a God of miracles, and so you don't have to understand it. You don't have to comprehend it. It's beyond what you can imagine. You need to ask big. Ask big. Ask God and trust God and see what, see what God will do. Here's the key principle right here that you've got to get in this story. And that is that God doesn't work in your life until you ask him. God doesn't work in your life until you ask him. He delights in us coming as his children and asking him, and that's when he begins to work in our lives. In fact, Jesus said what? He said to ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Because God is ready if we will simply ask. Now, that leads right into point number two. The second step is simply this. Confess your faith. Confess your faith. And there's a great scripture in Romans chapter 4. I may preach on this sometime uh, in the future. But Romans chapter 4, verse 19, about Abraham. And it says, Abraham, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He had to have a miracle. And since he was about 100 years old. And Sarah's womb was also dead. Double miracle needed here for, for this couple to have children. Verse 20, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised to do. How do you ask when the facts are screaming at you, the circumstances are screaming at you, that this is not possible and God doesn't care and there's no hope? That's when you don't deny the facts, they're real, but it's when you establish your faith on the promise of God and you come and you ask, confessing your faith, just like Abraham saying, I know what the facts say, but Lord, I'm coming to you and I'm going to trust you and I am persuaded. I'm fully persuaded. Say fully persuaded. How many know there's a place where, where you can get in God, where God speaks to you so clearly from the scripture that faith is birthed on the inside because faith comes out by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God gives you a rhema word, a personal word. Faith is born. And on that faith, based on that promise from God that's personalized to you, you are fully fully persuaded that God is going to perform the miracle for you that he promised. How many have been there and you've experienced that, right? I, I call it having a knower inside of you. How many know you have a knower? A knower. 
That's when, that's when the Word of God is so powerful and so alive, and, and, you, and you, you don't care what the circumstances are saying, what the devil's saying, what the crowd's saying, what the world's saying, what the religious crowd may be saying, or anybody else is saying. You down inside, you, you say, I know that I know that I know that I know my God is able and he's going to come through. Hallelujah. He's going to make a way for somebody. So, somebody needed to hear that right now. You need to praise God for that, right? God's got a way of quickening his word to you. Get a hold of the word of God and turn your knower on, your spiritual knower, so that you can confess your faith based on the word of God. I mean, God, God allows us to get in in circumstances and places where it stretches our faith. God will take us to the edge, right? He'll take us to that point because he's trying to teach us to trust him. He wants people that are trusting. He wants people that will have simple faith in the Lord. Now look at this story in verse 35. We read it. By this time it was late in the day and his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's also very late. Send the people away so they can go into the surrounding countryside and the village and buy themselves something to eat. So the disciples finally got concerned. But it was, it was after, it was obvious there's a problem with this big crowd and there's nothing to feed them and, and they're still, they've been there all day and they're very hungry. And so they, they accept the responsibility. They begin to get concerned, but they begin to try to figure it out in their own ability. They begin to try to figure out what, what, what can we do, you know, in this situation. And the question is, uh, who saw this need first, Jesus or the disciples? Obviously, Jesus, right? Jesus had already knew about this problem before this day even came. He knew that morning. He knew the problem. He had a plan, and Jesus is waiting for the disciples to come to him. You know, many times we think we're waiting on God, and God's really waiting on us. God's ready to do things in our lives if we can get ourselves prepared and positioned by asking him, by focusing on him and him alone and confessing our faith based on the word of God. So here's the point. Jesus did nothing about the problem until the disciples got concerned. Um, maybe you've got various problems today. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's some other kind of problem health-wise or or, or marriage or relationship or on your job or in your home, whatever, okay? But notice here that the disciples saw the need and finally came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, do something about this problem. There's fifteen to 20,000 people that are hungry here. Now look at Jesus' response in verse 37. Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. Now that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Here the disciples have their idea, their plan. They're coming wanting Jesus to do it, and Jesus turns back and says, you give them something to eat. Why would Jesus do that? You know, uh, it's practically impossible. How do you feed 20,000 people? You know, how do you, even if they had all the hamburger meat there, that's a lot of hamburger meat, isn't it? How do, how do you prepare 40,000 tacos, you know? You know, to do, and how do you get it distributed? How do you do this? I mean, practically, it just seems to be totally impossible. Financially, it seems impossible. One of the disciples said it'd take eight months of a person's wages and salary to be able to afford one meal for a crowd this size. So this is an incredible, massive, you know, miracle that Jesus is about to do. And the point is, God often asks us to do the impossible 
because he wants to stretch our faith. He's looking for faith. What he asks us to do, he knows we can't do unless we totally lean on him, trust in him, depend on him, and go to him, and that's what he wants. He wants our simple faith, our simple childlike faith. He wants our trust in him. How many found the Lord is always trustworthy? He's always faithful. He'll never fail us, never has failed us. But notice the disciples are so human here, and that's the reason we can identify with this story, because... They had normal human reactions at this time. They, first of all, they procrastinated. They waited until it was late in the day. They put this off, kept thinking, well, the people are going to leave. He's going to, Jesus is going to quit teaching and the people will leave and, and they'll go find something to eat. But they, they kept procrastinating and putting it off and putting it off, you know, and, and Jesus did nothing because Jesus was waiting on them. And then, and then it says that they passed the buck, verse 36. It says, they said, send the people away so they can go out to the countryside and the villages and they can buy themselves something to eat. So, in other words, out of sight, out of mind. Pretend it doesn't exist. Pass the buck. You know, basically the disciples are saying, it's not our problem. These people came out here on their own. They came out here, you know, without, without a lunch. It, you know, it's, it's their problem. You know, they should, it's not our problem. They should go back and, and find some, some food to buy somewhere. Now, really, it's the biggest cop-out when we say, it's none of my business. To say it's none of my business. You, if you've got a friend that's wasting his life away, it's your business, okay? If you've got a kid that's going in the wrong direction, how many know that's your business? If you've got somebody you care about that's, that's about to make the wrong decision, how many know that's your business? How many know we've got a lost and dying world not very far from us right here? Within 20 minutes... There's a whole lot of people that could find this church. And we can't reach them all, but how many know God wants us to reach as many as we can? It is our business. That's the reason I'm so excited about uh, learning from your staff last week when I met with them about your day of hope in October in which you're not going to have service that day to feed yourself. You're going to be outside feeding your neighborhood and giving them, what is it, tennis shoes and all kind of things that you're going to be giving away uh, on that day. I think that's what the church is all about. It is our business. There are people with no hope, people that need to be reached, people that haven't heard the name of Jesus, people that need the good news. Anytime a church turns inward and is more excited about the church dinner than looking out and trying, then that church is on a spiral toward death. When a church is looking out and they're concerned about other people and said, the Great Commission is our business. Preaching Jesus is our business. Reaching our city and our world is our business. We got to do what we can do. Somebody says, you can't reach them all, but yeah, we can reach a lot. We still got some empty seats here can be filled, right? And so, so it is our business and, and, and we've got, we've got to reach out. Don't pass the buck and don't procrastinate. And the third thing they did was they just worried. They just went into stress over mode. Look at verse 37. They said, Lord, if we did it, did that, it would cost eight months of a man's wages. Are we going to spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? The disciples' anxiety was just on overload right here, and they're, they start asking the questions of what if, what if. Now, they're with Jesus, so they decided they just didn't comprehend and understand what Jesus said. How, how, when he said, you give them something to, something to eat. You give them something to eat. 
So I, I can see the disciples pulling aside. Peter, Peter was the leader, wasn't he? So he, don't you love Peter? And, and they get, Peter gets them all over here and, and they start talking amongst themselves. And Peter said, how will we ever afford to feed this many people? And, and Matt spoke up and said, how will we transport the food and keep it hot? And Bart said, who's going to clean up the mess after this big picnic? And Andy said, who's going to underwrite the liability insurance? Praise God for a good board member that's always paying attention to that, right? You know, and Phil said, it could take weeks to get the health permit. What if, what if, what if? How many know God's bigger than all your what if questions? Yeah, all your excuses, all of that. We can worry about all of these things, but God wants us to quit fretting and stewing and being anxious and stressed out. And what's funny is, is, a, is, is about this is while they are procrastinating, passing the buck and worrying, Jesus, the solution of the problem is right there. He, he's a few feet away from them. You know, they're stressing out. And Jesus is right there in front of them, and, but they're looking for a Chick-fil-A. I mean, we always think we've got a better idea, right? I'm, you're going to get hungry on me now, for, so get that out of your mind, okay? How many will stay with me a little bit, a little bit longer? <laughs> but isn't that the truth? I mean, Jesus is right here this morning. But if our mind starts thinking about, you know, how we can, how we can do it our way, how many know our way never does work very well? God's way, we don't understand. It requires faith, but if we'll trust him, the miracle is going to bless a whole lot of people, not just us. You know, worrying is the opposite of faith. It never solves anything. It only makes the problem worse. So, so we have to trust the Lord, right? We have to trust the Lord. I like what Rick Warren said. He said, if you prayed about your problems... As much as you worry about them, you'd have a lot less to worry about. Wow, that's a good one, isn't it? If you prayed about your problems as much as you worry about them, you'd have a lot less to worry about. So we need, we need to ask God. He's our source. We need to confess our faith. He wants to stretch our faith so that we're trusting in him and him alone. And that leads us to step number three. We've got to pass the test. Okay, there's always going to be a testing of our faith. And, and there's a test here on these disciples because it's a lesson of faith and Jesus gives them a test to see if their faith is grown to the point where, where he can do this miracle. Verse 38 says, how many loaves, Jesus said, do you have? He asked them, go and see. And when they found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. Now, John tells us that really, really the hero of the story is the little boy. He's the only one who gave his lunch to Jesus, and Jesus worked a miracle from it. Why did Jesus do this miracle this way? I mean, the Old Testament says he just rained manna down from heaven. Why didn't he just do it that way? Because he wants to do miracles through us, not just for us, but through us. There's other people. See, we get so selfish, don't we? I do, and I, and I pray about my own needs first. But God many times is wanting me to look around and say, you know, there's someone else that needs a miracle, and I can operate this miracle through you, through you. And I get blessed in the process. And so God always, always, always starts with what we have, you know. 
And, and whatever we have is what he wants us to give to him. See, this little boy had a lunch. And so he, he gives his lunch. And Jesus says, says to us that you, you do the impossible. Why? Because he wants to stretch your faith and test your faith and see that you can be trusted. See, John 6 and verse 6 says, Jesus asked this only to test them. He asked this question, how many loaves do you have? That was the test, to test them, to see if they had faith. For he already had in his mind what he was going to do. Jesus had the plan. He wanted to test them. Jesus wasn't sweating this. He wasn't worried about it. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't wringing his hands. He had a plan, you know, and, and he knew what he was going to do. Now, look at the ways this little boy gave his lunch. He gave what he had. It was, it was just a little lunch barley loaves, a cheap bread, two little fish, probably two sardines. You know, it wasn't a whole lot. Surely there was someone else in that crowd that had a bigger lunch or a better lunch, but this little boy gave his what he had. He gave what he had. You know, to sit back and think, well, I don't have much to give, so I won't do anything. Oh, that's a cop-out. See, God wants us to give whatever we have. Never underestimate what God can do through ordinary people and limited resources given to him in faith. I'm going to say that again. Carbondale, that's a word for you today. For each one of you, never underestimate what God can do through ordinary people. We got any ordinary people in here? That's me. Don't underestimate what God can do through you and your limited resources when it's given to him in faith. You know, so God is looking not for our ability. He's looking for our, our availability. He wants us to be available to give what we have. And then the second thing that this little boy did, he he not only gave what he had, he gave all he had. He didn't keep some of it back for himself. There's always that that selfish part of me that wants to keep some back for myself. Well, I'm kind of hungry. I'll keep back one loaf and give four loaves, you know. You know, keep one fish and give, you know, and and give the other fish. And and so, so we need to realize that that we, God wants us to give all we have. Give everything. Don't hold back. You know, what are you holding back? You know, God, I'll give you everything except this relationship. I'll give you everything except my career or except my money, except my time. No, this little boy gave it all. And then thirdly, he gave it immediately. Immediately. He didn't hesitate, wonder, or doubt. Willingly and cheerfully you know, he volunteered his lunch not grudgingly, not complaining, not resenting. He didn't he didn't know what Jesus was going to do with his lunch, but he gave it immediately. That's the kind of giving that sparks a miracle. And that's the reason Jesus says we've got to have faith like a child. Because a child doesn't analyze and ask questions and wait and try to figure it out and try to understand it. You see, if I could understand all the ways of God, then my God wouldn't be very big, would he? That's the reason I need faith, because he's bigger than my understanding. And so I have to trust him. I have to turn to him. And I have to give to him. There's two reasons why we don't give like the little boy. We're worried that we might end up going hungry. You know, you know we realize we really don't believe that God can really take care of our needs. Now, that's a lack of faith. We haven't passed the test. Or we think, what's the use? It's a drop in the bucket. My contribution's not very much. And how many times people sit in our churches and think, my contribution is so small, it wouldn't help anybody. 
I'm not needed in this church. Every one of you have a, an important contribution to give. And that's not only for the sake of the body, it's for your sake. Because it's the demonstration of your faith that gets you in a position to experience the miracle of God. God wants you to experience the miracle, the miracle of God. Hallelujah. And so that leads us then to the, to the last point, and that's simply expect a miracle. When we're asking God, He's our source. When we're confessing our faith and letting our faith grow, when we pass the test because God sees that we are trusting Him and Him alone, then expectation grows. And in verse 39, Then Jesus, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people and divided the two fish among them all, and all ate and were satisfied. Now, I used to always look at this miracle as a fact that, yeah, Jesus, Jesus broke it, blessed it, and the miracle happened in the hands of Jesus. So he's... All this, all this bread is just multiplying in this fish as fast as the disciples can take it and take it out to this group of 50 and they run back and get some more and take it back and that's the miracle. It could have happened that way. We don't know for sure. But Robert Morris has an interesting insight here that you can also see in the text that Jesus broke it and blessed it, prayed over it, gave that portion to the disciples, broken so here I have this one lunch. So each disciple gets one-twelfth of this little boy's lunch. And Peter gets that. And now it requires the faith of Peter. Because Jesus said what? Take that one-twelfth and go out there and you feed this big crowd. And Peter looked at that and said, that ain't enough. How many have ever looked at your bank account and said, that's not enough? You looked at your own strength. There's not enough there. And Jesus is saying, do what? But the miracle could have actually happened when Peter obeyed and didn't eat it for himself, but he went and he gave. And as he started giving, it started multiplying in his hands. You see, what we give away is what God will multiply. He will multiply it. Because God, God specializes in things that are humanly impossible, right? You know, the Bible says in Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen, nothing's too hard for the Lord. And Jesus said, all things are possible to him who believes. With God, all things are possible. Matthew nine twenty-nine, according to your faith, it'll be done to you. And so Jesus is ready to do the work. And you can't outgive God, right? And it's all based on the principle and the law of the harvest of sowing and reaping. As a man sows, he will reap. So here it makes perfect sense. The disciples didn't see the miracle happen until they gave it away, till they sowed it. And then the miracle of multiplication set in. You can't outgive God. All of these fifteen to 20,000 people Eight, and it said they were satisfied. That means 5,000 men got seconds or thirds. Okay? Jeff, this was a beef, beast feast like none other. And they're satisfied. And there's 12 baskets left over when they gather up the fragments. Why? Because my God is able to do far more abundantly than, than what we could ever imagine and more than what we need. He will always bless us with more than we need 
so that we can give away. Now, the Bible's silent here. It doesn't tell us exactly what happened to those 12, 12 baskets. But Jesus was, was specific. He said, go gather them up. Don't waste any. And when they did, there's 12 baskets. Well, who gave their lunch in the first place? The little boy. And there's 12 baskets and there's 12 disciples, so I don't know for sure. Can I read between the lines? I can almost visualize the little boy going home and 12 disciples following him. And all 12 of them had a big basket full. And Mama looks out the kitchen window to see her little boy coming home. And she couldn't believe what she saw. 12 disciples with 12 baskets. Now, we don't know about this little lady. She may have had a dozen kids. She may have been a single mom. But even that, 12 baskets, probably that was more than she could use. She probably blessed the whole neighborhood. She probably called all of her neighbors and said, look. And so there's more to this story. When we get to heaven, we're going to get the rest of the story, right? Because there was a purpose for those 12 baskets. And what was it? I'm sure it got in the hands of somebody somehow. But God wants to bless you with more than you need. Do you believe that? So that you have extra left over to be a blessing to someone else. Ask God today, who can I bless this week? And sometimes God asks you, give what you have, give all that you have, and then I will take care of your need. Boy, that takes faith, doesn't it? That sounds like tithes and offerings to me. When I give my tithe first, an offering above that, then how does God take the 90% or the 89% or the 85%, whatever's left over, how does he take that and, and make it go further than the 100%? I don't know. It's a miracle of God. But God's going to take care of you. How many believe God's going to take care of you? No matter what. So this morning, if you, if you, have, if you have a financial need of any kind, if you have any worry any stress, any fear, any concern and you've looked at a debt and you say, Lord, I'd like to get that debt paid off but I don't know how. you got a concern on your job. Say, God, I, I, really need, I really need a raise on my job or maybe you don't have a job right now. You say, I need a job. Or Lord, how can I possibly save in this high inflation? How can I save enough for retirement someday? You know, Lord, how do, how do I do this? How can I be a blessing to someone else because Lord it doesn't look like I have very much and God says step out in faith and give what you can give what you have step out in faith and trust me and watch God do the multiplication in your life amen amen so as as we sing the song let's sing it in faith and if you have any kind of financial need of any kind any kind any kind of stress or worry or you know somebody you want to stand in for, just stand up in faith right at your seat and just raise a hand toward heaven and let's sing this song and expect God to do a miracle for you in the coming days. Amen? Let's sing it together. And the honor Yes, hallelujah. Lord, we lift our hands in worship as we lift your holy name. You deserve the glory. Stand up and trust God for your miracle, amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we lift our hands and worship as we lift your holy name. You deserve the
not financial, but maybe there's still there's still a need in your life, and there's stress, or there's worry, or there's concern. You don't know how God's gonna 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 do it. Any miracle you need whatsoever. If you want to take another step while we sing it again, and just come and stand right here, I believe your step of faith, God will meet you, and we're going to trust Him and have people come pray with you. If that's you, come on and let's sing it one more time. You deserve the glory and the honor. Lord, we lift our hands and worship as we lift your holy
praying here at the front and heads bowed and eyes are closed. Before we leave, the most important question, are you ready for heaven? Do you know Jesus? Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? Or if you've gotten away from God, this is your opportunity to rededicate your life to Jesus and put him first. Turn to him because he knows he knows how to bless your life. He knows how to provide for you. He's got a good plan for you if you'll trust him as Savior and Lord. If that's you today, I want you just to raise your hand just as high as you can get it. Hold it up. Look at me so I can spot you. Not going to embarrass you, but I want to pray with you. Yes, yes. Who else? Hold it up high and say yes. Say yes, Lord, I put you first. I trust you. Pray this simple prayer. Just say, Lord, I confess every sin. I accept you as my Savior. It's my decision to follow you, to serve you as Lord. I love you, Jesus, and I thank you for the free gift of eternal life. And Heavenly Father, I expect you to provide abundantly all for all of my needs so that I will not worry, but I will trust you and walk in peace. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, and for the glory of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, amen. Can all God's people say a big amen? Hallelujah. You're free to go, but you can stay. There's still people praying here. And pray as long as you want. God bless.